Continuing in Colossians 1 will be in verses 9 through 14 this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, now we just ask that you would continue um, to guide us this morning as we've had a chance to sing and worship and pray. And now, Lord, as we listen to your word, we ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts and to our minds and help us to take it in and to listen and to ask for your strength and help in obeying. We commit this time into your hands. We pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Who knows what Newton's third law of motion is? Go ahead and put just the title up there if you would. Anybody know what this law is? Okay, first part of it is, for every action there is... There you go. That's Newton's third law of motion. For every action there is an opposite and equal reaction. Um, give you a couple examples of that. Let's put the first one up there. This guy is rowing. The paddles push one direction. The boat goes in the other. That's one of the examples of that. Then you've got this next one. Uh, you push the domino and then they just all along. So there's an action that follows the, the initial action causes a reaction. Um, in our lives, we are surrounded by Newton's law. And I don't mean the physical realm. Yes, that's true. But I believe we have that same kind of thing going on. Uh, call it cause and effect. Call it actions have consequences. From a biblical perspective, we would call it the law of you reap what you sow. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Um, there are things that, that, that happen that then cause a reaction. So let's look at Galatians 6, 7, very uh, sim- simple verse in many ways. Don't be misled. You, led, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, or you will always reap what you sow. So there's that whole action and reaction, that, that whole idea of <clears throat> the, the, there's just this give and take, what you reap, you sow, and, and it just goes on and on. And, and it happens all around us. Actions have consequences. Um, causes lead to some kind of an effect. So as we're going through this passage this morning, be thinking spiritually in those kinds of terms. The whole idea of reaping and sowing, um, you know, of a cause and effect, if you will. We're going to start in verse 9. Paul says, for this reason, and that takes us back to what was the reason. Well, he had heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for all the saints. So for that reason, because he heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So I've heard about your faith in Jesus. I've heard about your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And since I've heard that, I have been praying for you. I am praying for you always. Now, that doesn't mean 24-7, but it does mean as he sits down to pray and as he spends time praying for the churches, he's praying for the church in Colossae, even though he's never been there. But he's heard about it from Epaphras. Uh, and so here we've got this, this uh, wonderful statement going on. And he says, since I heard about you, I have not stopped. I continue to pray. And what is it that I pray? I pray that God will fill you with knowledge of his will. Isn't that incredible? I pray that he will give you the knowledge of his will 
And, and, and through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's basically saying, listen, I long for you to know what God wants you to do. I'm praying that His will will become clear to you. I am praying. I'm praying that you will see and understand what God wants from you. And he continues to take that whole thought. So I'm, I'm praying for you because I heard about your faith in Jesus, your love for the saints, and, and I'm praying that God will show you His will, that you will continue to grow. And then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, And we pray this, that you would understand God's will, that He would reveal it to you. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, or that you may be able to walk worthy of the Lord. Live life and walk are the same, same, same statement there. Um, and may, pray that you live a life that's worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So he says, this is what we pray. We pray that God's going to fill you with the knowledge of His will. And we pray this so that you will be able to walk worthy or that you'll be able to live a life that's worthy. And, and, and I, I was working through this this week and thinking, how in the world, how in the world can I ever be worthy of any of the stuff that God has done? And the, and the answer is I can't. But I am made worthy because Christ died for me. And He is worthy. And that's the wonder. He is in me and I am in Him in that wonderful way that we talked about last week. And so Paul says, I want you to continue to walk worthy and, and show that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ by the way that you walk, by the way that you live, by the things that you say, that your thought life as it is expressed would be something that expresses the goodness of God. And so pray this so that you may live a life or may walk worthy of, of, of the Lord and that you may please Him in every way. Now, this isn't sinless perfection. Paul isn't saying, okay, you know, you've come to Christ, now you have to live perfectly or you're going to lose it. That is not the case at all. This is the case of Him saying, I want you to walk worthy and I want you to please Him. Are there going to be stumbles and scrapes and falls along the way? Yes. But as, as much as you possibly can, put your eyes on Christ and follow Him. That's what he's trying to say here. That you may please Him in every good way. Uh, it doesn't earn salvation because you can't earn salvation. That's a gift from God that you receive by faith. But the reality is we walk in the light of that faith that we have in Christ. We walk in a way that we are learning more and more to have Christ be in control, living through us and walking with Him. That's what we are aiming for and moving towards. He says, I pray that you be able to walk worthy and that you may please Him in every way, bearing fruit, good works. And so the result of faith, and again, here's the cause and effect. You've got faith. One of the, that's the cause. The result should be fruitfulness. So if I'm walking in the Lord and I'm trusting Him and I'm, I'm growing in my faith, there should also be the result of that fruit in my life. And that's just the, the good things that, that I'm able to do in the sense of what I may say to someone or what I might give someone, how I may encourage someone else. It's, that's part of the bearing of, of fruit, uh, of good works. And then he comes back to I pray this for you, that you live a life worthy of the Lord, that you please Him in every way, bearing fruit of every good work. And then it comes back to knowledge, doesn't he? Growing, ongoing growing in the knowledge of God. 
And again, you, you, you come back to it and you begin to see, okay, so he's saying in verse 9 that we, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And he comes down in verse 10, he mentions all these things and walking worthy. And he says, and not only that, I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. I want you to continue to grow in that knowledge. And on one level, it's almost as if he's saying, you, you know something here, you begin to apply it, and now you suddenly realize you've got a whole lot more that you've got to learn. There's all kinds more of God to, to understand and and more of His Word to apply. So He wants to grow in knowledge, growing in our relationship with Him. And the better we know Him, the more we want to know Him. And the more we know Him, the more we want our walk to show that we are walking with Him. And we want our talk to show that we honor Him. So we walk and, and, and we talk and <clears throat> we do this in a way that would bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is especially writing to the church. Remember, they've got some false teaching that's going on. It's kind of maybe the starts of Gnosticism and maybe some Jewish legalism kind of all thrown together. Gnosticism comes later on in time, full fit, full force. But Paul says, you know, I don't want you to walk in the oral traditions of the Jew, Jewish people or to be fooled by some of the stuff that you're hearing out there. I want you to live in a way that fully pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know Him, grow in that knowledge so that you can continue to pursue Him. I found this quote as I was studying this section today, or this week. Although Christians are completely justified from the moment of initial saving faith, Okay, so he's saying, hey, Christians are, the minute you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved, you're pure, you're holy. God looks down and sees you through the blood of Christ, and you are clean. Period. So we're completely justified the moment of initial saving faith, but we are not fully sanctified, and that's where we have those issues, isn't it? Yeah, we're saved, and we're holy and pure before God's eyes, but... Here on earth, there's that process of ongoing growth. I stumble, I fall, I confess, and I begin to grow again. A brother or sister comes to me and says, Hey, this is what's going on, and, and uh, you know, I, I realize I've done something. And so I, I confess to them, and, and, and I confess to the Lord, and, and I move on. And, and that's the whole idea. Sanctification isn't, uh, I got saved and sanctified, and now I'm pure and holy forever. Uh, no, we've all seen the things you do. You've all seen the things I do and things I say. You know I'm not pure here and now. That's where I'm headed, hopefully. And when I see Christ, I will be totally that way. But in the meantime, we are still walking. There's that sanctification that has to take place. And and in that whole idea of sanctification, he, the quote says, <clears throat> Christians aren't fully sanctified and they can do things that either please or displease God each day. And what he's saying is to walk worthy of the life that you have been given means that you are seeking to live in a way that pleases God every day. And when you stumble and fall, you confess it, you get back in fellowship with Him, and you continue to walk with Him. That's why Paul says that he prays for them to grow in their knowledge of God, not just facts, but it's grow in their knowledge and their relationship with Him. And as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we should keep on growing. Because the more, the more you understand and the more you know, the more you realize, I don't know 
anything anymore or don't know anything compared to what I need to know. <clears throat> a man that worked with my dad in, in Mexico, his name was Ron Harris, and at the end of his life he'd served in Mexico, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years, planted churches in different places. At the end of his life, he was sitting there talking <clears throat> to his kids and grandkids. And he had his Bible open, and he said, I don't get it all. I still don't know. I still haven't grown the way I want to. And that's the reality that we need to deal with. Yes, I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm doing the things that God wants me to do. When I stumble and fall, I get back up and confess and move on with Him. So as we grow, as we grow in our knowledge of God, I'll just put that next uh, quote up there. I'm sorry, I skipped. There's a mutual cause and effect relationship between knowing and doing. It's one of the fundamental spiritual laws of growth. I can't, I can't be over here doing something I've never learned. And so if I want to know what God's will is, I, I pursue knowing Him better. And as He reveals what He wants from me, then I go ahead and continue to move in the direction that He leads. So as we grow in that knowledge of God, we should ask Him to impact our lives so that our lives are impacted on, a, on all levels, on how we think and how we speak and how we act, all of those things. What we know needs to impact how, how we interact with others and how we interact with the world around us. Now, most of you probably have heard this, but I think it fits really well here. Uh, John Maxwell uh, said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Everybody got that? I remember Phil Foley when he and Rhonda were here singing, he, he rattled that thing off so fast I couldn't keep up with him. But <clears throat> your talk talks, so the things we say, well, yeah, they they speak loudly. But he says the things that you do, your walk, your walk is also talking. So he's saying, here, here's your talk talk. You're talking and you're speaking and you're saying things. But the way you live, your walk, is also saying something. And the point of what he's saying here is, if your walk and your talk don't agree, then something's wrong with you. If my walk is talking louder than my talk, and my walk is talking in directions differently than how I talk, then something's wrong and that needs to be taken care of. Again, it's a clever little way of saying it, but your talk talks and your walk talks. But if your walk talks louder than your talk, then something's wrong. And we need to get before the Lord to do that. You know, we talk about how words mean things, but <clears throat> our walk shows whether or not we believe the things we're saying. Right? I, I, I may say something, and I may say, okay, this is this is... This is what it is. And, and I walk out the door and do something totally different to what I just said. Then you're saying, your walk and talk don't agree. So our words mean things. And our walk shows whether or not the things we say are things that we actually believe. Does what I know about God and His Word and His people impact my walk and my talk? 
years ago, lots and lots of years ago, I was uh, in Quito, Ecuador as a single missionary, and I was distributing some literature up in one of the poorer areas of town, and you know, we would do that in order to try to get in conversation with people, and, and um, let's face it, you know, in parts of Quito, when I showed up looking higher, look, I was a show just by getting out of the bus, because they, very few of them in that point had any kind of chance to talk with somebody that looked like me. First of all, I was like six feet taller than everybody. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm going door to door, and I'm just not getting... There's nobody who wants to seem to have any kind of a conversation in any way, shape, or form. And so I'm kind of frustrated with that and thinking, Lord, am I wasting my time? What am I doing here? What's wrong with you, God? Why isn't this going better? All that kind of stuff's going through my mind. And a teenager, a guy about 13, 14 years old, comes up and he kind of looks me up and down. And he looks at my feet, and I used to get this all the time. He looked at my feet and says, how big are your feet? <clears throat> and, you know, I was uptight and upset, and he was a little bit disrespectful as a young person talking to someone older. And, and by the way, they're, they're good-sized. Um, and down there, they're giant size. <clears throat> I said, well, it's about the same size as your mouth. Yeah, yeah, not so good. Fortunately, he was a teenager who had a good sense of humor. But I remember... I mean, this is 30, 40 years later, and I remember this vividly because I said something that didn't match what I was trying to do. Our talk and our walk must be together, or it just doesn't matter. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us that is intimate and close, and He wants us to pursue Him to have that relationship so that what we think and what we speak and the way that we act is all brought under the impact and influence of the Lord Himself. So how do we grow in our knowledge of the Lord? Well, we learn from His Word, and again, it's not just the facts we're interested in here. It's, it's using God's Word to help us develop a relationship with Him. It's growing in how we see Him and how we understand Him. And, and part of that is, is the Word of God and hearing other people talk about it and being in a, in a body of Christ where together we kind of show Christ to each other and encourage and challenge each other. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways that our knowledge of the Lord can increase. I, there have been times I've sat down with people whom um, I just respect so highly. And just talking with them, I learned about the Lord. Incredible things. These people had no Bible. They had no New Testament. They had nothing yet. They had Paul's letter, which hadn't even gotten there yet. But, you know, they've, they've got nothing in that sense, but they did have oral tradition and oral teaching that got passed on and that they would learn. And from that and from each other, they began to grow in their knowledge of the Lord. And by the way, another way to know the Lord is to talk to Him. And I'm not talking about just a prayer list, and there's nothing wrong with a prayer list, but having a conversation. You know, you're going somewhere, and just, you know, hey, Lord, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, guide my steps or whatever. Or maybe, Lord, I was just in that conversation with that person, and I have no idea 
if I communicated well what you wanted, and I begin to pray for them as I'm headed to wherever it is that I'm going. So there's a lot of ways that we can pursue knowing the Lord, but we need to know Him better and continue that process of knowing Him better so that we can walk and talk the same thing. Uh, I came across this too, this statement, we cannot do what we do not know. I can't do anything that I don't understand how to do, or I can't do this in my Christian walk if I don't even know I'm supposed to do that. And so it's the whole idea of learning and growing and developing our relationship with the Lord, more and more knowledge as we get that, then we can begin to do the things that we know we should. So you have to know it first, and then I can do it. And again, it's one of those cause and effect. As I know Him and and pursue Him and get to know Him in a a real way, then there's the effect of, of growing in that, and I can grow and walk worthy of the Lord the way He, Paul, tells us that He wants us to. And so we we seek to know God better in all of the ways that we've just mentioned, and we pursue our relationship with God so that we can walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. Paul said, if we want to want you to grow, he said, I want you to grow in the knowledge of the Lord so that you can walk worthy of Him and that you could bear fruit and that it, you would be continually growing in your knowledge of Him. And that's kind of the summary of what he said in these couple of verses. So let, let's move on and I'm going to read verse 10 again kind of just for the context as we move on to verse 11. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And so being strengthened with all power, this is to be empowered, supported, reinforced, but to to be given this, not according to... And this is according to His power. Now, we're not just saying, okay, I want to strengthen myself. That's not what we want. We want the Lord's strength. We want His ability to be poured in through us so that we are walking in a way that we should, and we're gaining that strength and the empowerment from Him. Um, That's why it says we are strengthened according to His glorious might. And He's got an inexhaustible supply. The strength of God never never lessens in any way, shape, or form. The strength of God is always full. From, from the first time that we meet God till we meet Him in heaven, it, there's no change in His strength and His power. It has always been and will always continue to be the same. And that's where we start going, that's kind of big, isn't it? Yes, it's huge. It's, you know, we, it's bigger than the universe because God created it and, you know, keeps it running, and yet he's separate from it. He says, I want to have you to have all power according to his might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And the idea here seems to be that, hey guys, you're going through some hard things. You're going to be facing some suffering. You're going to be facing some hostility. And with God's help, Trust His strength. Trust His power to give you the ability to face whatever comes and to be able to keep on going, seeking after Him. So enduring without complaint, enduring without retaliation. That's the kind of thought that's there. 
And then the last part of 11 really should have been part of 12. Whoever put the numbers in years ago didn't catch this. But and joyfully, so he says, you know, I want you to have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So as we're strengthened and as we begin to see God do work in us and as we begin to say, Lord, okay, I want to see your might in me. I want to see your power working through me. I, I want to see that happen as I face the things that are hard to face, as I seek to endure, as I seek to have patience. Lord, I want to be able to do it joyfully and praying to you through that whole process. So, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So, I want you to be able to go through all of this, Paul says, and, and, and face whatever you might have to endure with patience. And I want you to do it with joy and at the same time, thankfulness. Thankfulness to God as you're going through hard things. That's what he's saying here. You, you ask for his power, ask for his strength. The time's coming. Maybe it already has for you, but it's coming. And, and when you face these hardships and these difficulties, and maybe people are really hammering you for your believing in this Jewish guy from who knows where, and when they're doing that to you, keep on trusting, asking God for his strength, asking God for his power, and thanking him in the process. And then he says, giving thanks to the Father, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So we're joyfully giving thanks to God because He strengthened and powers us and, and helps us as we trust Him to help us endure and have the patience to keep on going. He says, He, he has qualified you or He has made you fit or He's made you competent or in other ways, He's made you worthy. He has made you worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's what that whole idea of being qualified means. And by the way, we can't qualify ourselves. It's the Lord God who qualifies us because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because we believe that when He died, He died for us. And when we enter into that and we realize we are now qualified, we can now walk worthy because in Christ we are. In Christ we are worthy. And we're worthy to take part in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Then we'll go into verse 13 and 14, the last two verses we'll look at this morning together. <clears throat> For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. I just... The whole idea of the dominion of darkness just really kind of was heavy on my, on my mind all week. What does this mean? What does it look like? And, and I was trying to think through examples of what the, the dominion of darkness would be. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the place where Satan rules. That's one thing. It's, it's his kingdom. It's the kingdom of darkness. But the dominion of darkness is not having any power or ability to, to, to deal with it. We don't have that. That's why it's important that we realize He rescued us from that dominion of darkness. He saved us so that we don't have to face the dominion of darkness. <clears throat> Satan is free to do many things in this world which God has given him permission to do for a time. But we're not part of His dominion. We're part of the kingdom of God. And that's the part, the part that we need to kind of always remember. Again, I was trying to figure out <clears throat> what does this dominion of darkness look like? And 
I thought about maybe some of the scenes in, in, in the Lord of the Rings <clears throat> where there's just darkness and evil and, and there didn't seem to be any way to, to win or fight. But, you know, eventually all it took was, you know, that step that was <clears throat> Frodo took. But think of, I was just thinking of the, I remember watching and thinking, man, that's dark. That's evil. And this is even worse, the dominion of darkness. It's real. And until we are saved, we're in it, even though we may not realize it. He has rescued us, delivered us, freed us from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, sold out for evil. That's what the kingdom of darkness is all about. He's, people who are separated from God and hostile towards Him are part of the dominion of darkness, but He has rescued us from that dominion and He's brought us into or transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the Son He loves. That's the big change. We accept Jesus Christ. We believe that He died for us. And what happens? We go from being part of the dominion of darkness to being part of the kingdom of God. We are now forgiven and we are with the Lord here and eventually uh, in the future there as well. So when we believed in Jesus and we died, that He died for us, paying the price for our sins, which if you saw that theme all the way through the things that Daniel had us sing this morning, I kept thinking, that's exactly what's in the Scripture here. Um, <clears throat> we are in Christ and He is in us, and we have been rescued from that dominion. We have been brought into the kingdom of His Son. And verse 14 says, In whom, the Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How do you get from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God? It's by believing in Jesus Christ who redeemed us. Redeemed us. We were bought from the slave market of sin and the price, the price that was paid was the blood of Jesus on the cross. The price that was paid was Him dying for you and for me. And so when we say that we have been bought and paid for, that's true. We've been bought and paid for. We were slaves to sin before, and then we were bought by Jesus Christ, paid the price for us, and brought us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son and said, okay, now walk with me. Now walk with me. came across this this week. If we take our lives and do what we want with them, we are taking something that does not really belong to us. We've been bought and paid for. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang about that this morning too. The forgiveness of sins pardoned the debt. Um, so we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. And these two words uh, basically, I, I love these definitions of them. Redemption or being redeemed releases us from the power of sin. Forgiveness releases us from the guilt of sin. Um, so I can live for Christ. I can walk worthy of Him because I've been redeemed and bought and paid for. And then when, when I begin to struggle or I have thoughts that are making me feel guilty or I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed with, with what I may have done or thought in the past, that's forgiven. I don't have to give in to those feelings of guilt because they've been paid for. 
they've been paid for. What do we take away from all this? Verse 13 uh, and 14 from the New Living says this, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, or the dominion of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom, He redeemed us, and forgave us our sins. Isn't that awesome? So Paul's really just in this, and this is a prayer that he has been praying. This this short number of verses, he's praying this. He's saying, "You have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. You've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God. You've gone through all of that. Jesus purchased your freedom, and He has redeemed you from the horrors of slavery to sin. He's forgiven you." Again, thinking through what what. What does the dominion of darkness look like? Um, the thought came to me as I was thinking about that. You have the demon-possessed man of Gerizims. You remember him? He lived in darkness, totally controlled, under the dominion of Satan and thousands of demons. We really don't know. His name was Legion. Imagine the dominion he lived in. I mean, this guy lived in the tombs. And we're not talking a nice, pretty cemetery with flowers and green trees and even rows of, of people have, who have been buried. We're talking about some pretty awful places. And he lived in the dark. And he lived in the darkness spiritually, but also just in any other way. This, this is a man who they tried to chain, and he just broke the chains. This is a man who they tried to tame in some way, and he could not be tamed. And he lived in the darkness and he cut himself. I, don't, I, I wonder if he wasn't cutting himself to try to get away from the thousands of voices and things that were going on in his head. I mean, th- this was the dominion of darkness on one person in such an incredibly powerful way. There's no hope for this guy. None. Until he met Jesus. In his darkness and despair, he comes face to face with Jesus. And Jesus redeems him, rescues him, sets him free from Satan in the domain of darkness. He brought him into the kingdom of God. Total change. From death to life, from darkness to light. Why? How? Well, Luke tells us, the Son of Man came to seek and save. Go ahead and go to the next one there. Thank you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There was nobody loster, if you will, than this demon-possessed man. Jesus comes face to face with them, and he destroys the dominion of darkness. The man is set free. And people come out and they can't believe him. He's sitting there. He has clothes on and he's listening to Jesus. There's a song that if you want to listen to, you can uh, look it up online, YouTube, wherever. It's called Man of the Tombs by Bob Bennett. And um, I'm just going to read some of the words because this, this really captures what I think this man lived. Man of the Tombs. He lived in a place where no one goes. And he tears at himself and lives with a pain that no one knows. He counts himself dead among the living. 
He knows no mercy, no forgiving. Deep in the night, he's driven to cry out loud. Underneath this thing that I've become, a fading memory of flesh and blood, I curse the womb, I bless the grave. I've lost my heart, I cannot be saved. Like those who fear me, I'm afraid. Like those I've hurt, I can feel pain. Naked now before my sin, and these stones that cut against my skin. Some try, some try to touch me, but no one can. For man of the tombs I am. And then Jesus responds in this way. Underneath this thing that you have become, I see a man of flesh and blood. I give you life beyond the grave. I heal your heart. I come to save. No need to fear. <clears throat> Be not afraid. This man of sorrows knows your pain. I come to take away your sin and bear it. It's marks upon my skin. When no one can touch you, still I can. For the Son of God, I am. I would guess that none of us had that kind of a testimony if we were to share them. Uh, matter of fact, I remember when I was younger and I'd sit around and people would talk about all these bad things they did before they got saved. I was kind of jealous, foolishly, but no, oh, wow, they got a great testimony. I like hearing theirs. Mine, I got saved when I was five. You know, you know. <clears throat> no, but none of us probably have this kind of testimony, though. Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells the change. Man who was living in the dominion of darkness, filled with demons, under the power of Satan and darkness. And Jesus came and set him free. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The demon-possessed man was saved and made whole by coming to Jesus Christ. And by the way, we do it the same way. Anybody that gets saved, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're saved. doesn't matter where we've been. doesn't matter what we've done. doesn't matter at all. Because Christ came to die for all of it. I'm going to ask Daniel to come up, and we're going to, we're going to finish singing with, with this one verse of a song. But cause and effect, here we are again. Jesus comes to a man nobody can touch and touches him and he's changed forever that's the wonder of mercy and grace go ahead daniel this verse really captures i think the wonder of it all no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand.
We were rescued from the dominion of darkness. We've been forgiven. May we grow in our knowledge of Christ so that we can walk worthy of Him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of Your Word. Thank You that Your Word is so full of amazing examples of people that You set free. Thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. Help us to live those truths out this week in our lives. We ask in your name. Amen.